I'm Michael Hogan. You're listening to the Galactica Quorum. It's a fracking podcast. <laughs> Previously on the Galactica Quorum. The thing I kind of angst angsting about right now is that there's just so much that they didn't explain at all. They didn't wrap up Starbuck but, at but, all. But you know what? I don't think they had to wrap up Starbuck. I gotta put this above MASH. That, that may be too old for some of you. Not guys. for me. If I'm gonna give this a grade as right after the show. Oh, my immediate. Grade, my immediate I, I'm, I'm giving it a, a, a plus. A plus. A plus right I mean. My immediate reaction after it is not an A plus. All about sex, drugs, and rock and roll. Hey, yeah, I'll just use that song. And Fortune Cookie at the end said... Have a nice day. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, and welcome to the Galactica Quorum. It's a fracking podcast. It's a fracking podcast about Battlestar Galactica. I'm Brian. I'm Dimitri. I'm Michelle. And this is episode 75. Our website is galacticacorum.com. Our email is gquorum at gmail.com. That's spelled G-Q-U-O-R-U-M. Send us a voicemail. Our phone number is 301-358-5175. Visit us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter, where our account name is Galactica Quorum. This is episode 75, which seems an appropriate number since Battlestar Galactica's ship designation number is BSG-75. Seems kind of like fate, karma, God's will... That we're talking about the series finale in episode 75. Funny how that all worked out, isn't it? I think you planned it from the beginning. Yeah, it seems that way. But nope, it was pure chance. Pure genius. There's some news and plugs to discuss. We will be at Balticon. Balticon is a convention in Baltimore that's running from May 22nd to 25th. Their website is balticon.org. We will be doing a live podcast recording session Sunday, May 24th at 7 p.m., currently scheduled to be in the Chesapeake Room. If you're going to Balticon, please stop by and join us. We'd love to see you. Currently scheduled to join us is Parsec Award-winning podcast author Scott Sigler. Our friend Nikki Klein has a new website launch. Her website is NikkiKlein.com, and I will put the link in our show notes for that. There is a new Battlestar Galactica book that's coming out called Battlestar Galactica Downloaded. It's the new official book that covers the first two seasons with character guide and actor interviews. I've seen some preview pages for it. It looks pretty spiffy. It should be available on Amazon right now, so check that out. Parsec Award nominations are now open. If you would be so kind to nominate us for Best Fan Podcast, we'd appreciate that. We were winners of that award last year. Michelle, do you have any conventions to bring up? All right, let's see. Uh, May 1st through the 3rd, there's FedCon in Germany. That is going to have James Callis, Richard Hatch, Michael Hogan, Mark Shepard, and Edward James Olmos. June 19th through the 21st, Wizard World, Philadelphia. That's going to have Luciana Caro. August 6th through the 9th, Wizard World, Chicago. That's going to have Luciana Caro. And then there's Dragon Con, September 4th through the 7th. That has a huge list right now. I'm going. Dimitri's going. I'm going. Brian's going, and I'm going, and Ted's going, and Jen's going. I'm going to dress like a seven-foot race. I don't know what I'm doing yet. 
You can be my queen. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see. Anyways, okay, so here's the list for DragonCon so far. They're constantly updating it, so keep going to their website and check it out, which is dragoncon.org. Right now, I've got Aaron Douglas, Kevin Grazier, who's the science advisor, Richard Hatch, Alessandro Giuliani, who plays uh, Felix Gaeta, Candace McClure, Mary McDonald, Michael Nankin, the director, Edward James Olmos, and Kate Vernon so far. Don't forget Dirk Benedict. Oh, I'm sorry. I left Dirk Benedict off our list. <laughs> I can't wait to see if he's invited to any of the panels. I'd be curious to see it. I'm sure they'll put him on some of the panels. That would be awkward. <laughs> I think it'd be even more awkward if they got um, Katie Sackhoff to be there. They should put Katie Sackhoff and Dirk Benedict on a panel together. That'd be funny. Yeah. I think <laughs> but she's not invited fun. yet, so we'll see. Also want to mention that the second and final Battlestar Galactica prop auction is taking place May 7th through 10th in Pasadena. The preview day is on the 7th. Auction dates are 8th, 9th, and 10th. For details, go to PropWorks. That's prop and then works, W-O-R-X dot com. For details, that'll be on the auction network. So pick up some of the last remaining bits of Battlestar memorabilia. There's another catalog that's available, too, if you want to order just that. That's got all the pictures of all the items. That's really cool. MBSG News. The Battlestar Galactica Complete Series is coming to Blu-ray July 21st. And you can pre-order that on Amazon for about 245 bucks. But that is the complete set, and the Blu-ray edition has a total of 20 discs. And from what I've read of Season 5, there will be at least three episodes that will be extended from what was shown on air. And I believe that includes the finale. As long as it was, there actually was more material. Speaking of DVDs, the Caprica DVD is now out on the shelves. Have you seen it, Michelle? I have seen it. As have I. Uh, We have to get Dimitri to watch We will do a show about Caprica, still on the subject of DVDs and such. An email from Zane, who writes, I think it'd be interesting to hear revised thoughts on episodes that were extended for the DVDs, i.e. Pegasus and Unfinished Business. I know you weren't thrilled by Unfinished Business, but I think the extended episode is a pretty excellent character study. I think if they wanted us to remember what the basis of all the characters were for the finale, they should have just replayed Unfinished Business and not wasted a third of Daybreak Part 1 and Caprica Before the Fall flashbacks that didn't really add much outside of some interesting Baltar and Six insight. I don't know if I said this before, but I'll say it again. I mean, this is a huge pet peeve with showing stuff after the show that fills in gaps in the show so that you get a better understanding of what the show was about. Like the email says, instead of wasting time with some other junk, just do the character studies during the show, erase some other superfluous stuff. I shouldn't have to get a DVD or watch extended scenes to figure out what was happening when the show was live. Right. A lot of people, I think, have that sentiment about the plan. Instead of just being an extended episode, it's a brand new movie. I've read people's thoughts online that they feel like they should not have to make a movie that tells us what the Cylon's plan was or along those lines when it really should have just been woven into the story. Yeah. All right, we just have a couple of voicemails that deal with Daybreak Part 1. We've had a backlog of emails and voicemails about Daybreak Part 1 and Part 2. We're just going to play a couple voicemails from Part 1 right now. The first one comes from Jonathan. Hey, this is Jonathan. I uh, just watched the most recent episode. I have to say, overall, I was a bit disappointed. 
like you guys, I felt the last few episodes have been kind of slow, type of episodes that have built to real action. And I, before this last one, I remember thinking, okay, now we're starting the final three hours, you know, the three-hour final episode, and we're going to get some real action and things are going to happen. Uh, I was talking with my brother after the part one of the three-hour finale, and uh, my brother also watched it. He said basically the whole episode could be summed up in the last scene where... Odama asks everybody who wants to join the quest to save Hera to step over the line, and they could have gotten away with with that for the uh, whole episode. And then, you know, I was thinking back, all of the backstory back on Caprica, did they really need to go back and teach us, give us insights into Laura, Rosalind's sisters and father and Baltar's dad? Is that going to come to play in the last two hours before the series ends? You know, maybe it will, but it just seems unlikely and therefore kind of unnecessary stuff to put in there. And one other thing that I've been meaning to call in and, and run by you guys ever since the Cylon Civil War, maybe I missed something, but the Cylons, basically there were, there were six Cylons, six lines of Cylons left because they boxed the Deanna line, and half of them left to split away and ended up finding the human fleet, but half of the lines only had one base star. It kind of seems to me that there are so many Cylon base stars seem to be floating around and around space. I don't know if all the others were destroyed or if Cavill has control of all of them except for just kind of give these lines uh, their own one little base star or if they were destroyed in battle. I don't know. Anyway, hopefully the last couple hours of the series will improve. And Anyway, looking forward to seeing it and love the show and uh, have a good one. Bye. I guess we can talk a little bit about the flashbacks before we really delve into the part two. The one thing I wish the flashbacks had done, instead of focusing entirely on characters that we pretty much already knew the backstory and having them show us the backstory, if they were really set on having flashbacks to Caprica, I wish they had done a story with Zack. I think the Zack storyline would have shed a lot of light on Starbuck and on Lee, because... Zack was this one character who was the tie between both of those characters. And uh, I would have liked to have known why Starbuck was in love with him. And I would have liked to have seen more of the relationship between Lee and his brother. I think finding out something about Zack would have been probably more interesting. And it would have been just as informative as seeing all this other stuff, which we kind of already knew. It would have been just something new. We hadn't seen much of this character before. Instead of having him just fall asleep really shortly into the flashbacks and pretty much out of the game, I think that would have been a better move. I agree with you, especially since beginning in the series, they uh, talked about Zack and how he died. It would have been nice, you're right, to have a little bit more of the person. If you're already going there, instead of showing that there was near infidelity between these two people who just met at Zack's house for dinner, you know, it would have been nice to show a little bit more of his character. Okay, another voicemail about Daybreak Part 1. This one is from Nick. Hi, Galactic Quorum. This is Nick again. I just wanted to say I uh, very much enjoyed this last episode because I've uh, heard a lot of mixed reviews about it, and yeah, it wasn't really like a fast-paced thing, but to be honest, I really am just enjoying the fact that it's going to be all put together in the next episode. Really can't wait. Kind of curious what's going to go on with Anders, if he's going to be in the CIC like they mentioned or something in the uh, last episode. But just really excited, and I just wanted to make sure I called in before the last big episode. Thanks again, guys. Always enjoy what you're doing. Personally, I'm just going to throw this out there. I think Gaius is going to live. I think Capca 6 is going to live. 
I think Hilo may live. Not sure. He's got a good chance of dying. But definitely, I think Starbuck and Apollo will. I think Admiral Adama. I think he's going to go down. And I think it's going to be awesome. But uh, I just want to say thanks for all the stuff you guys have done. Really have enjoyed it, and I uh, can't wait for more. All right. Well, once again, this is Nick from Westlake. All right. Have a good one. Bye-bye. Well, wait. Who died? Nobody really died. Well, that's right. No one really died. That's... Except for Rosalind, which we already knew about. Right. One more prediction. This is a voicemail from Rob. Hey, Galactica Quorum. This is uh, Rob Crawford. Hey, I just heard your uh, last recap on Daybreak Part 1, and I wanted to kind of get my predictions out before the episode tonight, uh, the finale tonight. First thing is, you spent a lot of time talking about the flashbacks, and uh, my thought on that is, is that that's a foreshadowing to who the final five humans will be after the episode is all said and done, that they will somehow um, be transported or survive whatever is to come, be reborn uh, like Carol was, and that those would be the final five humans that we're going to see, just like the foreshadowing we had or the uh, flashbacks we had with Terrell and Ty and everybody on Earth. That was the same type of thing we saw last week. And the whole allusion to daybreak is, you know, that it's night before the day breaks. So just that something's going to happen, it's going to be a rebirth, and that those characters that were shown, with the exception of Zach, probably are going to be the ones that are going to uh, be reborn after whatever happens. Also, something I just uh, on my chest every time I watch is that ever since they destroyed the mythos of the skin jobs being an evolution of the centurions created by the centurions and that the final five swooped in, stopped the war and created the other seven. I've kind of just been a little disappointed because, you know, it really takes away the whole, you know, they've come to destroy humanity who are their parents because really the skin jobs parents are the final five. What that also though alludes to and what it makes me think of is that Cavill has committed the same sin that humanity did to their Cylons and what supposedly these Cylons did, the Final Five Cylon race did to their Cylons, which is they had forced them into slavery by the whole lobotomy, you know, they won't fight the fleet anymore because the Final Five are there, let's lobotomize all the raiders, let's turn off all the centurions, and what I think is going to happen, prediction is, is that the song is the reminder to the centurions about who they are and what they're, you know, it's like a song from, it's just the song is going to reactivate or remind them. And when they hear it played, they will turn on Cavill and the skin jobs that are aligned with him, and they will save the day as Galactica basically destroyed, somehow probably falls through the uh, black hole, comes out the other end with the only five surviving people when they, it happened, and bang, zoom, there's your final five. I don't know if there'll be skin jobs also with them, and there'll be some sort of mix, but the five humanity people will be those that we saw in the flashback. Guy somehow will end up in the group, Lee and, uh, and the rest of them that were in the flashbacks, Kara, etc. Uh, even President Roslin will be cured and once again alive, just like we saw previously with the Cylon blood thing. That's just my call, just on my thinking about it and just wanted to do it. Uh, you have a good one. Thanks for all your work. Bye. I hadn't heard a specific theory that there would be a new Final Five. Some of us had ideas that there would be a new start, a new uh, cycle, so to speak, of um, the humans starting over with. But that's the first I had heard of someone coming up with an idea that there would, in fact, be a new Final Five. And I kind of like that theory and concept. If that had happened, I would not have been disappointed with that. That's pretty cool. 
I think we're ready to move on to our discussion. Before we get to the recap, we have some nice little tweet caps of the episode. The first one comes from Kit. Her tweet cap goes, Gaius grows a pair. The colony is the opera house. The watchtower leads Kara's jump here. Farewell to all. 150,000 years later, Hera was Eve. Very good. Rainy has one. It goes, the end is here. Hera is rescued. Some die. The war ends. New Earth is found. Everyone says goodbye and parts ways. Who didn't cry? (laughs) And Heather writes, war breaks. Everyone fights. Opera House equals CIC. Caprica hearts Baltar. Earth, 150,000 years BC. We all settle. This will all happen again. Roll credits. Very those are good. good. Those are good. It just uh, amazes me those are only 140 characters. What's amazing is mine is, I don't even know how many characters. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, it's pretty amazing that those uh, uh, could do it in 140 and you do it in like 11,400. Let me just do a word count and see what it is. Um, view statistics. Here we go. Mine is uh, almost 1,500 words, and it's 8,500 characters. <laughs> <laughs> nice. So, what's the opposite of a tweet cap? Brian Cap. It's hard to believe this is going to be the final recap for a Battlestar that I'm going to be doing. But not holding anything back. The nukes are hot. I'm going to go out with a blaze of glory. Here it is, the recap for the final episode Daybreak Part 2. It's all about the sex. Before the fall, Caprica was chic, modern, and teeming with sexual undercurrent. Sort of like a late-night movie on Showtime. Decent production values, but you can expect to see boobies. In another series of flashbacks, we see, smoldering beneath the glossy veneer of culture and advanced society, an atmosphere of debauchery and drunkenness. Ty takes Adama out to celebrate his pending retirement at a strip club. Adama has a rollicking good time, right up until he pukes all over himself in an alley. Starbuck hosts a nice domestic dinner for Lee and Zack that segues into downing shots and nearly turning into a frack on the table with her future brother-in-law. Rosalind has a date with a former student, and he's got a bad so bad, he's hot for teacher. Rosalind <laughs> sips from her wine glass and says she has no problem with it, and no problem afterwards when she says thanks for the lay, but get the frack out of the cougar's den. Now fast forward to the present. Cottle dopes up Rosalind with enough meds to keep her going for the next couple days. After that, it won't matter one way or the other, because Galactica is about to make its last stand. Acting Admiral Hoshi and President Romo board the last outgoing shuttle to lead the remainder of the ragtag fleet. At the last moment, Baltar does the noble thing and decides to stay, passing up sure thing religious groupie sex for potential makeup sex with Caprica. And silent centurions, adorned with the red-painted sash, assemble in Galactica's hangar bay as the vanguard of the rescue mission. It's time. Galactica jumps, appearing right at the colony's doorstep. And it's on, mother fracker! Anders jacks into the hybrid party line. Hello, ladies. He introduces these Vestal Virgins to cybersex in its purest form, and they quickly melt for the hairless hunk. Spent and satisfied from their cerebral climax, the hybrids slip into a post-orgasmic doze, and the colony defense batteries go offline. Taking phallic symbolism to an extreme level, the Galactica rams into the colony's nether regions, penetrating its walls, and then blows a hatch near its tip, deploying, like so many spermatozoa, a slew of marines that disperse to seek out their target. Yeah, like I said, it's all about the sex. Mutineers, Racetrack, and Skulls are happy to be back in action, but instant karma's gonna get them. Just after flipping the safeties off their nukes, Space Rubble smashes through their canopy. On the colony, fierce firefights erupt between the two forces. 
Rebel Centurions go steel toe to steel toe with their toaster cousins, and when pure mechanical force won't subdue them, a nice shot between the uh, eye does the trick. Boomer chooses to flip sides one last time, killing Simon and whisking Hera away. She delivers a child to Athena, who isn't about to let her off easy. She gives her a dozen reasons in the form of bullets. One for taking my kid, one for fracking my husband, and about ten more because, well, just because. Cavill centurions swarm into Galactica. In the mayhem, Hela was hit, and Hera runs off. Caprica, Baltar, Athena, and Roslyn, all chasing after fleeting glimpses of Hera, start having opera house visions. Baltar and Six scoop her up and take her to... the CIC, where everyone else is converged, guided not by visions, but common sense. You'd think after launching such an audacious assault to get Hera, they'd be a little more protective once they got her, but somehow Cavill manages to grab her and hold her at gunpoint. In the standoff, Baltar addresses Cavill with a small gesture of his hand. This is not the child you're looking for. <laughs> Cavill returns a one-finger gesture. Baltar tries another approach, telling him strange stuff is happening. Forces at work that can't be explained. Cavill shrugs. Eh, good enough for me, he says. Throw in resurrection technology and we'll forget the whole thing happened. The final five dip their hands in tub water that has to be fairly fouled at this point and begin to unlock the secrets of resurrection. But that's not all that's revealed. Tori's been bad. Judging by the way his nostrils are flaring, Tyrrell seems a little bit upset. Oops, he just snapped her neck. Yeah, he's upset. The final five mind meld is shattered. The tenuous truce is broken and things all go to hell. Lead flies in the CIC and Cavill, for reasons only known to Dean Stockwell, eats a bullet from his own gun. Meanwhile, racetracks a drift raptor is jostled by a rock. Her limp hand flops onto a switch, and the raptor's nuclear payload is launched toward the colony. In the mayhem, Starbuck punches in the song as FTL coordinates, and the Galactica jumps away. It arrives at its destination, wiggling and wobbling like a limbo dancer, its frame rippling from stem to stern. Ty declares she will never jump again. Fortunately for them, they have arrived at a vibrant blue jewel of a planet, not radiated by weapons of war. Peaceful. Alderaan. No, no, but don't call it Earth, not yet. Because this Earth exists far in the past. There are people here, but the indigenous humans are primitive. We're talking less than Geico caveman primitive. Not President Lee decrees that they ditch everything, go native, and mingle with our new human homies. Adama points out their caveman cousins don't have language. We can give them that, Lee says brightly, but no more potty mouth words. So no more saying frack. They'll have to come up with something else. Romo agrees but draws the line at giving up his sunglasses. To war temptation for any of that comfy technology stuff, the fleet is sent on a one-way trip into the sun. All those not volunteering to pilot the ship into the solar furnace, raise your hand. Great, everyone but Anders. Thanks, buddy. Rosalind is starting to slip away as she looks upon the vast herd of gazelles on the plain. So many. So mouth-wateringly delicious. Adama asks her if she wants a closer look. Yeah, closer to my mouth. Get in my belly. <laughs> Given the choice of listening to more of Lee's bright ideas for the next 20 years or listening to Rosalind's wheezing voice for the next 10 minutes, Adama chooses the latter. The dying leader does, in fact, die shortly after, and Adama finds the perfect spot to lay her to rest, build their dream cabin, and avoid further contact with his best friend, adopted daughter, and his only living son. Speaking of whom, so, Lee Adama, from Captain Apollo to Captain Caveman, You've been a pilot, the CAG, an insubordinate officer, commander of a battle star, a trial lawyer, the Capricorn delegate, and the colonial president. What are you going to do now? Gosh, I think I'd like to travel the land and take in beautiful landscapes that will someday be Windows desktop wallpapers. Starbuck realizes she totally just sent the wrong guy into the sun and says, that's it, I'm outie, and disappears, becoming one with a force or something. We'll never know for sure. As for the other angels in the outfield... Head Six and Head Baltar congratulate their living avatars for successfully rebooting humanity back to the Stone Age and ridding themselves of those infernal one-god-loving Cylons. Hmm. Baltar and Caprica began their lives as farmers, as chronicled in the famous cave painting 
Aileron Gothic. Fast forward 150,000 years to New York City, where Head Six and Head Balthar marvel at the discovery of the bones of the genetic mother of us all, Hera. Apparently she lived a full life. If by full life you mean dying young after shagging half the continent. Ah, life well lived. The Head Angels have one last mission before they saunter off. Seed the idea in a certain bearded TV writer to end a series with a tonally incongruous visual montage. Images of what we most have to fear as a civilization. Ibos, Teddy Ruxpin dolls, Wall-E, and homeless people listening to Jimi Hendrix. And don't forget the sexy robots. They'll lead us to our destruction and damnation. Just ask Baltar. Later, they'll manifest as angels that guide and nurture us back. Capricious creatures, these angels. Confused? Don't worry, my child. You don't have to make sense of it. God has a plan. Roll credits. Dang, Brian. That was pretty good. It was funny. Sorry for laughing out loud. Did you make me laugh? You make me laugh, Brian. All about sex, drugs, and rock and roll. Actually, I did go through when I was rewatching the episode, and I really do believe that it was intentional that all the flashback material had two elements that were common among them. And one was they were all dealing with them in some sort of sexual situation. And there's also alcohol involved, heavy bits of alcohol. Well, not so much in Rosalind's case, but there was... Well, she was drinking the wine. She was, yeah. And, and uh, then she was, yeah. So I don't know what that means in terms of there being some lesson we're supposed to get about that, about Caprica's morals going down the toilet or... Maybe Ron Moore thinks that we're all alcohol sex heathens here on Earth and that he envisions my toaster oven killing me at night or something. <laughs> well, you could say that, especially in light of what we see in Caprica, and I don't want to give too much away for those who haven't seen Caprica yet, but... Like me! Yeah, like you! But what we see in Caprica, at least in the, the V-Club, the virtual club, is much worse. And I would think if the colonies were on a road down some sort of... Heathen path. Down the way towards immorality, that by this time... 40, 50 years later, it would have been much worse. I mean, people going to a strip club or people hanging out and drinking on a Friday night or whatever. Hell, that happens all the time <laughs> and any town, any place. And it's not that big a deal. I think if they really wanted to express that there was something really bad festering that was eating up the moral core of the colonies, they should have made it 10 times worse. They should have people banging on the street corner. Yeah, just really bad stuff. And again, it seemed on the outside, everything was very cultured. And maybe that was the point that underneath there was some kind of rot or something. But it should have been more over the top, I think, just to really hammer that point home. But yeah. maybe it was maybe he was going for a totally different message. I don't know. But Could it have been a coincidence? I don't think so. I don't think you write three, actually four, if you consider Baltar in his limo and him bopping six and that other floozy. I don't think you write four flashbacks that all have the same elements and the same components, and it, it's a coincidence. I don't think so. But I could be wrong. You could ask Ron next time you talk to him. Since I haven't listened to the Ron Moore podcast yet. I guess I forgot to mention that. I forgot to mention that we haven't listened to the official Ronald D. Moore podcast Actually, someone asked me if I hadn't listened to the podcast because I didn't want spoilers. And that's not really the reason why I don't listen to them before we record the podcast. The reason I don't listen to them before we record the podcast is because, and this goes all the way back to podcast number one that Dimitri and I did. We said at the time, there's material in the podcast, the Ron Moore podcast. Some things are important, some things are less important. And you know right away 
whether there are certain topics that are even worth discussing. And when we talk about the show for this podcast, there's a list of stuff that we want to talk about. And I don't want to know if it's somehow less important because that's just stuff that we would talk about if we were talking about it just amongst ourselves anyway. So I don't want to censor ourselves about what we're going to talk about. What Brian is trying to say is that we don't listen to the Ronald D. Moore podcast because we don't want something they say to take away from our speculations. Right. Exactly. In a nutshell. In a nutshell. In a nutshell. In a twit, if you if you will. <laughs> <laughs> I speak in Twitter. Brian speaks in essay. <laughs> Yo, essay. All right. So when we last met, we had our initial impressions. At that time, Dimitri and Jason had a very positive impression about it. I was a little bit on the fence about certain things. My question now is, now that a few weeks have passed, has your opinion changed at all? And since, Michelle, we didn't get to speak to you before, what was your opinion at the time? And what do you think now? I liked it at the time. I'm still confused about the whole Starbucks thing. That's the only thing that I was just like, what the hell? That made no sense. I mean, I liked the episode. I was kind of happy with how it went, other than that. Oh, and I didn't like Cavill shooting himself. I thought that was a real cop-out. You're not the only one on that front, but we'll get to that in a second, because we got some correspondence about that. How about you, Dimitri? Well, we've talked about this a few times now on podcasts from before and offline and with my family and my friends. And, you know, there's always some questions that come up, like Michelle just mentioned Cavill and Starbucks and whatever. But overall, there are questions that I have. But overall, I've only watched it once. I haven't rewatched it. But as far as I remember, the bottom line for me watching TV in general is entertainment value. And the series finale for me was very entertaining. I loved all the CGI. I loved the uh, ramming speed by Galactica. I loved the Marines going in. I loved the Cylon on Cylon battle in the, in the hallway. The whole thing I just found to be very entertaining. You know, I had no idea how they were going to wrap it up. I know a lot of people disagree or whatever, but I thought that uh, the way they finished it, I was like, oh, cool. That makes sense. So I stand by my initial H for awesome. <laughs> G, that's what it was. It was G for glorious. Well, I, at the time, had some questions about it. And since then, those questions have somewhat solidified into sort of nagging issues, I guess. The chief ones being Starbuck, like Michelle mentioned, the God doing it all explanation, and a thing at the end when they ended some of the character relationships and the character goodbyes. And then there's a few other naggy things that I can mention as well. So before we get into just my nitpicking, I think it'd be good to say what you thought was right about the episode you already mentioned some of the action, some of the uh, the effects that you liked. And I liked all those as well. I thought the uh, first half was really well done. And I have to compliment them because I really didn't believe that they would be able to pull off in the last hour and a half, basically, bringing so much to a head and having it all come close to being tied up. And they actually were able to do it. So, And they even had time left over. They spent a good amount of time on Earth that maybe even could have been truncated a little bit. So... I'm impressed that they were able to do that. See, this is where I have to somewhat qualify what I'm saying, though, because the stuff that I like, in my mind, is a little bit superficial. Because, yeah, I like the effects, and I, the battles are just, just amazing. 
But that's not really, once the show was over with, what I would really take away from it. What I would take away from it were the answers to these burning questions about what is Starbuck and what does it all mean and what is the head Baltar and things like that. And for me, those things weren't too satisfactory. But before we get into my problems with it, does, does <laughs> Michelle, do you... Who gets uh, a Brian's problem? I mean, because I don't want to... <laughs> obviously, has anyone listened to this podcast before knows I'm... I'm the one that usually has the most problems, but I want to balance it out. I don't want to make it seem um, weighed in too much direction. So if you have positive things to say, by all means, say what they are and jump right in. Well, you mean negative things or positive things. Well, I did. There's probably a couple of things that I thought were that I didn't like. I think at the end, I really thought I could have done without the video screen showing the current Japanese robots walking around. That was just stupid. All shows, maybe not all shows, but they're politicizing a little bit. They're doing a little bit of their social commentary. But that was just like, if you didn't get it up until now, I'm going to shove it up in your face and tell you that, you know, computers are going to kill us. Mm. Like, you know, that's what it felt like. And then backing up just a little more than that, it seems silly that Adama went off with Roslyn and then Roslyn died. It seems silly that Adama was, it was led to believe that Adama was going to just like live by himself and not with his son, like, create a little tribe. We had talked about that somewhere along the way. It just seemed seemed illogical. Right. You have this really tight family with your son, and Starbuck, who's like your daughter, which he said before, and you're on this brand-new planet. Why would those two do it by themselves and you do it by yourself? You've never done this before. (laughs) You know, you may have gone camping a couple times, but not for, like, the next 40 years. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Cavemen. When we had our last uh, live reacts show, one of the things Jason said was he was comparing this finale with some of the other finales that he'd seen and ranking them. And he said this one for him was better than the MASH finale. And I immediately said at the time, not for me. And I don't know why initially I said that. I just voiced it because it's something I felt. But on reflection later, I realized what it was. And it's that when I saw the MASH finale, and I did actually see it when it aired back in the, uh, I guess it was early 80s. One of the things that was so satisfying about it for me was that all the characters had chances to say goodbye to other characters. And in so doing, allowed the audience to share that. Hawkeye got to say goodbye to BJ. And then he got to say goodbye to Hot Lips. He said goodbye to Colonel Potter. And he as that happened, the viewers also had a chance to do that. And in the secondary characters, even they had their own goodbyes with other secondary characters. I guess the thing that was bothersome is, like you say, the Adama-Apollo relationship, I didn't understand how that ended. It didn't make any sense. The arc of the series, for me, was the father and son story. In the very first bit of the miniseries, Lee comes on to the Battlestar, and he's grumpy because he has to deal with his old man who he's having a fight with. Eventually, he and his father reconcile, and then they fight again, and they make up, and they fight and they make up. But throughout the series, it's about them as a family and dealing with his son and Lee's brother dying and all the problems that they had to deal with and them being the only family left together. And there's an episode in season one that always 
comes back to me, and that is the episode where Starbuck crash lands her Viper on uh, the planet, and Adama goes against Rosalind's orders and risks the fleet by extending a search for her. And eventually they find her, and she's back on the ship, and Lee comes up to Adama, and he says, if it was me out there, would you have done the same thing? And Adama says, and this line still gets to me today when I watch it, he says, if it was you, I'd still be looking. I think that's a powerful line. I think that just speaks so much about the character and their relationship. So now, flash forward to the finale. Adama, who's already lost a son, his one remaining family member, they now live in a peaceful place. They're not going to have to argue all the time and butt heads about, oh, Lee, I don't want to run the fleet this way and oh this and that they don't have to do that they have nothing to worry about and now he's leaving i didn't get it i can understand him going to build a memorial for rosalind who he ended up falling in love with but to just end it that way and that's just lee then there's the whole thing with ty he had several episodes in this last season where he and ty were bonding so much even after he learned he was a cylon talk about another arc i mean he went through this thing where his best friend is a Cylon. And he goes through hell. He's puking over himself. He's just flailing about. And he comes out on the other side, and they're friends again. Then they land on a planet. And again, there's nothing more to be worried about. But instead, he just we don't even see him say goodbye to Ty. He's just gone. I didn't understand that at all. Another example of characters that not as big of a relationship arcs, but still, to me, important. Caprica had a miscarriage of Ty's child. But Ellen rolls into town, and so Caprica and Ty don't even have so much as a sorry didn't work out kind of scene. They just ended that really oddly. Like Baltar shows back up, and they click, and they're off. And then another character, which I wish had gotten more play, was Leoben. I don't understand how Leoben, who was God's prophet from season one, had nothing to say. Considering we were supposed to swallow that Starbuck and the heads are angels, it just seems really odd to me that they wouldn't have the guy who'd been God's mouthpiece all this time, spouting all these prophecies and whatnot, had Zippy to say. Yeah, was he even there? I think he might have been in the background, but he, I don't think he even had any lines. I don't even remember seeing him. That was odd that he just up and disappeared. It almost seems like, by omission, it seems sort of like they're trying to sweep him under the rug somehow. Why? Just so they don't have to explain. Yeah. So they don't have to explain more of this God thing. Because it's like, if he steps up and says something, then they have to explain more about God. All right. Here is a voicemail from Justin. Hi, this is Justin from Auburn, Washington. I just had a couple comments about the finale. First off, there are a couple things I liked and a couple things I didn't like. One of the things I didn't like was Cavill killing himself. Made no sense to me. Why would he do that? He doesn't believe in God, doesn't believe in an afterlife. Wouldn't he try to survive for as long as possible? Also, the last bit on Earth just seemed a little bit too long, uh, at least to me anyways. I do love that Head Baltar and Head Six ended up being real, or that's what it looks like to me anyways. And then I'd, I'd like to know, you know why God doesn't like the name God. And then, of course, what I really liked was that our Earth is not the real Earth, or not the original Earth. Anyways, you guys have been doing a great podcast. Keep up the great work. Thanks. My understanding is that in the original script, Ty or someone of the final five was going to throw Cavill from the upper part of the CIC and he's killed or he's killed in some manner by someone in the final five. But apparently Dean Stockwell thought that the Cavill character would shoot himself. So they deferred to him. That's stupid. Yeah, I think that's a total crock. 
Well, yeah, that they deferred to him, but that he would even think that his character would do that. I don't know. I mean, right now, like, you know, in our current time of world financial problems, people losing money like crazy, investments are going through the floor, and people panic and they freak out, and nothing is going the way they had planned or envisioned, and so they go and they kill their family and they kill themselves. So maybe his thing was like that. He has this plan from the very beginning. The Cylons attacked Earth. They got rid of the humans. They've been chasing them for four or five years. They get to this planet. Now there's this whole war going on. They're on a losing end of it because they not only have humans against them, but they have half of the Cylon fleet against him. He's at wit's end. Nothing he's planned from the very beginning is working out. He thought he was an elite being. It's all failing. And so in that one moment, he's like, fuck it, I quit. Shoots himself. Happens all the time. Except I don't think they were in such a bad spot. I mean, if you look at it, they weren't on the losing again. The only thing that was really going against them was that their resurrection technology had been messed up. They still had a huge colony that was being attacked by this brittle, old as shit Battlestar, which was going to last another 10 seconds before it totally fell to pieces. And then their one pestering little gnat would have been squished and they wouldn't have to worry about the humans anymore. Yeah, but they need the humans. And then. And no, they then don't they need the humans. Not anymore. Well, well, you're right. They don't need the humans anymore. But maybe in that one, I mean, he's in the CIC by himself. He doesn't know what's going on elsewhere. Uh, he's not plugged into the collective anymore. So he doesn't know what's going on. So maybe in that moment, like, you know what I mean? Okay. See, you can say that and, and maybe, maybe you can justify it. For some reason, he, the guy that doesn't believe in God and wants nothing to live and, and he's been trying to get resurrection and that's his whole goal, but, now all of a sudden he's going to throw all that away and just, he's just going to off himself. Okay, maybe you can justify that. But it still doesn't show the same impact as if they had had him killed. When he died, Jason and Dimitri both went, whoa. And I was like, oh, okay. And again, it's one of those things that when I first saw it, I didn't know why at the time I didn't have such a reaction to it that was positive. It's only later that I thought about it. I was like, I wish it had been something where Ty or Ellen especially would have been the one to kill him because that would have been just more poetic for a final five to kill their first creation, for Ellen to kill the avatar of her own father that she had created. It's just something about that that would have just had a really interesting symbolism to it. I think we were robbed of that in a small way by having him just go, eh, pop. So yeah, you could somehow just justify that he thought, oh, it's the end of the line, and to do it. But it sounds like they said, okay, we're going to do it this way. And Stockwell was like, well, how about we just have him shoot himself? And they're like, hmm, well, let's see, that would sure take only, uh, you know, not half a day of shooting instead of this other thing we planned. Okay, let's just do it that way. You know, it just seemed like it was a trick of convenience more than something that would have made the story better. I'd like to, you know, hear his reasoning as to why he thought Cavill would do such a thing. Maybe because he could no longer be with Boomer. Ah, <laughs> well, uh, Boomer. I actually, I think it would have been more dramatic if the, the parent killed the uh, the son. It would have just showed, like, all right, we tried. You know, we had this plan, and uh, you are a complete failure. <laughs> <laughs> Bam. And um, speaking of Boomer, 
And this is just a small thing, but again, in watching the show, there's just a few things that I would see that I would be like, oh, I just wish they'd done it this way. And I'm sorry I'm listing these things one after the other, but that's just how I feel about it. When Boomer was shot by Athena, I wish they had done it a little bit differently. I wish that instead of Athena shooting her for several seconds and pumping like half a clip into her, that instead she had just raised her arm, shot once, paused, shot again. Just like when Boomer shot the old man at the end of season one. I think that would have been, uh, again, kind of a symbolism that said they are the same. A Boomer and Athena, sure, they're different, quote, people, but they are copies. And the instinctual movement would have been for her to raise her arm, perhaps even having the same camera angle to drive it home and have her go pop, pop. And maybe it's not an instinctual movement, but a programmed movement. If you find yourself in a situation where you need to kill, assassinate, whatever, this is the movement that you are programmed to do. Right. Again, it works the way they did it, but at the end, I was hoping to see something that's a little different. So is there anything you actually liked about the episode? Well, that's what we were talking a little bit before. There's things about it that I liked. They were kind of superficial. Um, we could talk all day about how the effects are really good. And, you know, I, I think I already mentioned that I thought they did a great job putting together the final conflict or them getting to the colony and the way they executed the assault on the colony. I thought that was really well done. But again, that, I think, that I think you're, let me interrupt if you don't mind. I think you're conflicted. I think that, uh, correct me if I'm wrong after I'm done. I think you love the premise of Battlestar Galactica, and I think you like the actors that are in the show. You like the directors, the producer. I think you like the, the CGI, the graphics. I think you like all of it, but I think where you feel it has failed is in the weaving of the storylines, the character plots, and uh, an overall consistency of stories that you've started that haven't been finished or bringing things in that were never started. Uh, I wouldn't know if it's quite to that extreme. I mean, if you ask me why I watch it, well, I watch it because it's a really good show. It's the, it's the damn good show. And I think it was right up until the very end, they had me right there. And they were just so many good episodes, even this season. But then at the very end, the answers to fundamental questions they had were just, to me, they were stupid. <laughs> it was, it's, and it's not because the answers weren't ones that I came up with. Right. It's because I thought they were dumb. They, right. they could have come up with any number of answers that I didn't see coming because I like to see something pop out that's a surprise. It doesn't have to be something I came up with. It's just that it was unsatisfying to me. And again, part of it is just our podcast. We've had over the months and years, we've had so many people send us theories and they've sent us their ideas about what things mean. And some were more far-fetched than others. But at the very beginning, if someone had wrote in or called in and said, here's the answer, everybody. It's God. It's all just magically explained. We'd be like, come on. I don't even know if I would have played that voicemail. I'd have been like, this is just too ludicrous to even play. So no, the thing that I'm disappointed about is that the answers, the big final conclusion, I just found it to be well short of what the show deserved. And I think looking back over everything that's happened up to this point, we all expected. And I think, I don't think we put too much expectation on it because the show is just that good. I think it's just the conclusion when it was laid out there was just sort of mystifying to me. I know that you want to plan on talking about God, but since you just mentioned God, I think that the whole like 
God made me do it is such an old human excuse for just about anything. People wage year wars, crusades, bomb buildings, blow shit up, uh, suicide bombers, kamikaze, all these things because God made me do it. Just because God made you do it doesn't mean it's a justifiable thing. You know what I mean? It doesn't mean that actual God did anything. As far as I'm concerned, no one's seen God in a really long time. So it's all about faith and how you interpret things in your books of religion or from your religious leaders that things are conveyed as God told us to do this, so we have to do it. You know what I mean? So I don't really think it was all God's doing is just humans do what they do and then when they need to explain it because it doesn't make sense, they say, God, maybe do it. So you're saying that's what the uh, the writers are doing? Well, no, I mean, well, yeah. Baltar kept on spouting stuff about God. And then before that, you know, they kept on talking about the gods. You know, the gods this, the gods that. But it's, God doesn't make people do anything. People do what they do, and then they either blame God for it or they thank God for it. Well, see, that's, that is actually a, uh, a big uh, motif in science fiction is the concept of free will. The Matrix movies went over this quite a bit where Neo questions whether anything he does is actually free will or if it's just some thing that's already preordained because of, you know, he's the one and there's this prophecy and it's happened before and he's going to be the next guy to reboot and all that stuff. So Neo is the first Cylon. <laughs> I mean, again, the problem for me is not that they had a divine answer. It's that the divine answer was just so ambiguous and that it was all encompassing. The answer was simply that it's God that made all this happen. And the answer was, she's an angel. That's it. There need to be more explanation about it. Well, I mean, it's kind of like a fortune cookie, right? Or the horoscope. The horoscope can either be exactly what you need or because when you're reading it, that's exactly what you need. Or it's absolutely not what you need because when you're reading it, that's not what you need. Well, the fortune cookie exists in its own context. This is a show that had... I don't even know how many dozens of episodes that laid the groundwork that expected you when you opened that last cookie to have something to do with everything else that came before it, rather than just something that was just like some Zen phrase that really meant nothing. Well, I agree with that. To me, that's what it was. It was, it was like we got to the end of this long meal and the fortune cookie at the end said, Have a nice day. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. It did not serve to anything that came before it. But then there's the Starbuck issue. Do you want to Michelle, you said that was your, your main problem. What did what did you think about? I enjoyed the episode. I enjoyed, you know, like you said before, the CG and tying up, finally tying up the opera house, even though that wasn't totally satisfactory. But <laughs> they at least mentioned it and kind of made sense out of it where we're all like, oh, I don't get it. But it was Starbuck that bothered the hell out of me. Because one, everything's blown up and the nukes were launched and, oh, we got to jump out of here. Quick, take us anywhere. And, oh, hey, yeah, I'll just use that song. That'll work. And magically we end up at Earth, you know, and then she just up and disappears. Oh, she was an angel. Bullcrap. <laughs> she wasn't like the head characters. They were angels, but she was completely different. She was a different kind of angel. That was really my biggest fault, because I just didn't understand her. I just didn't feel satisfied with how they resolved her. You know, out of everything, and, you know, Starbuck being this huge mystery throughout the entire series, and then she just disappears. That bugged me. 
But Dimitri had mentioned that the screens at the end with the robots, like he thought that was stupid. I thought that was okay. I thought it worked because it was just basically saying, you know, this has happened before. It'll all happen again. And they were just kind of, yes, they were reiterating that to us. But maybe some people need that to be reiterated that, yeah, having these robots is really cool and everything. Like I love my Roomba and everything. But, you know, at some point my Roomba will probably try to kill me. And that's okay. <laughs> you know, <laughs> but some people do need to be reminded that not every technology that we build is the best thing. Just on the subject of Starbuck, really quick, an email from Brandon who writes, he's also not sure about Starbuck as deity and leaving the pristine Viper unanswered. It seems to be like the character should have been more consistently otherworldly, like from the miniseries and not just at the end of the show. Here it seems like they didn't quite know what to do with her. The thing with Starbuck is why do they spend an episode talking about her past and her father if what they're going to end up doing is making that sort of irrelevant and making her this angel. I thought that was an odd thing. And it's also odd to me that Ron Moore and the producers, the writers seem actually surprised that the viewers somehow came up with this leap that Daniel was Starbucks father. And I don't know how they can do that unless they're just flat out lying about it because they put so many clues into her past with the piano player and all that could have been just a red herring. But if it's a red herring, own up to it and say, yeah, we threw that in there. We try to throw you off. But for them to say, oh, we never saw that one coming. I just think that's disingenuous. I just don't know how that could be true, especially when you have a beat where someone picks up a tape that says Draylid Thrace live at the opera house. You don't just throw that in there and not expect to have some connection be made. Another odd right. thing to add to the pile. Yeah, that surprised me that Ron Moore said that. He's like, I don't understand why everybody thought that. What do you mean you don't understand? Yeah, Yeah, I was surprised by that. And to the point about the robots at the end, I didn't like that. I thought it was too... Cheesy. It was cheesy, and it didn't fit the tone of the rest of the show, as I wrote in my recap. And again, this is just my take on the show. And, you know, it's not my show. It's Ron Moore and David Icke's show. And... They can say this is what it was about, and that's their prerogative. But for me, having that be the big statement about what the show is about, I thought it just didn't ring quite true. I don't have time right now to go into it. I have this basically a little essay written up about what the uh, the show, to me, was about, and uh, especially how it ties into even what happens in some of Caprica, the DVD Caprica. Um, we'll get to that in another episode. When you write a seven-minute recap, you don't have time to write an essay about what the show is about. So that'll come later. Well, real quick, if those two guys, uh, Moore and Ike, said that they don't know why all these people jumped to this conclusion and that's not what the show is about, then they either... Uh, somehow have attracted a stupid audience, or they failed. <laughs> Thousands of people can't come up to the same conclusion and all be wrong. <laughs> okay, we have not even gotten to some of the emails and voicemails that I intended to get to. There are just so many of them, and I apologize. We will get to them eventually. You know what we should do? What? We should do kind of like a question and answer podcast where we don't actually talk to anybody, but we just we read an email. And we give ourselves maybe, you know, max four minutes to talk about it. We answer it. Read the next email, answer it. Email, email, voicemail, voicemail, answer, voicemail, answer, voicemail. Bam, done. That's a great idea. And that's probably what we're going to end up doing at some point. Instead of of like 
trying to lace it into a show, just have a question and answer and call it Q&A. Yep. Yep. You're genius. Thanks. <laughs> Brilliant. Like a four-pack of Guinness. Yep. Okay, so grade-wise, let's go around the horn, as they say. Uh, mine, again, is entertainment value. Of course, I understand after, you know, talking with you guys just today and before that there are, you know, there are things that could have been fixed, there are things that are problematic. As far as a story goes, you know, the Russians have a word called skazka, which is, it's not really story, it's kind of like maybe fairy tale, but not really fairy tale. It's kind of hard to describe, but it's just a good story. But overall, at the moment, in the then and now, in the then and there, I give it an A. I'm going to go with my original thought, which was a B. Just because there are some things that weren't resolved satisfactory to me. But overall, I really enjoyed it, and I've enjoyed the series. So, that's all. It's a B. For me, the ending and some of the answers was a bit like in Return of the Jedi. When you find out Luke and Leah are brother and sister, it's like, yeah... It can work, but there are a hundred better ways that it should have been. Fortunately, there were no Ewoks involved in this episode, so that would have really been damaging. Uh, I give it a... See, I struggle because it's an episode, but it's also an episode that pretty much is the capstone of the series. So, yeah, I think I'm just going to say B- and let that be the final statement. Okay, that should wrap up this episode. Again, we will have more. There will be town halls and there will be Q&As and there will be live sessions at Balticon and there'll be more interviews and there will be so much more. So uh, please keep subscribing. And of course, Caprica is coming down as well. It ain't over yet. Our website is galacticacorum.com. Our email is gquorum at gmail.com. Our voicemail 301 3585175 The jump clock is running. See you next time. So say we all. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening everybody. All right. You ready to do this for a second time? Yeah. What are we recording, exactly? What are we recording? <laughs> what, what happened? You said Michelle, Michelle's parts work, but your parts don't work? My parts don't work. My parts don't work. <laughs> That's a what, personal what, problem. What does that mean? It means like, are you recording us on different tracks or something? Right. right. Uh, there's a left track that has you and her, and there's a right track that has me uh, and my track. Was that sucks. <laughs> was that a reenactment or the actual recording? Oh no! Give me a minute.
Because if that's a if that's a reenactment, dude, you you do uh, rever- reverberating feedback really. Well. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so many talents. Uh, yeah. So, Yet none of them useful. Yeah, none of them making a <laughs> lick of money. <laughs> <laughs> 